Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. This is episode 45, Holiday Potluck. We've got a lot of different things to go over this weekend, or this episode. And uh, But as always, I'm your host, Todd McCartney, and sitting in with me, with the new addition to the Retro Disney World podcast is JT Couser, and we welcome Andrew. Little Andrew was born to JT and Kelly. Yes. So JT, welcome to the show, and Andrew, welcome our smallest member of the of the team. Yeah, if he talks out, I'm sorry. He's what I think. Gosh, three weeks old now, so he's a little. And it's and it's we're recording during my night shift, so that's right. I'll be in and out depending on what's going on. But yeah, Merry Christmas to everybody. Um, super excited. I feel out of the loop because I wasn't in Florida with everybody, but it looked like uh, we'll fun. get you caught up. Yeah, 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 yeah. we'll get and you I, caught I, up. I, I feel like we haven't talked since when October. November. Yeah, somewhere in there. Boy, it's yeah. been a while. So it has. Yeah. Well, welcome back. Hi, everybody. And how coming in from Tampa tonight? Got to see you last month at the at the event. Yes. Hello, everybody. Aloha. Good evening from windy, stormy Tampa tonight. And Mele Kalikimaka to you. Yeah, Mele Kalikimaka, everybody. I'm enjoying, it's not Hawaiian, but tonight I'm enjoying a, like a hot apple cider with some rum. Oh, so. look at that. Look at that. Yeah. Taking a cue from the north. And speaking of the north, Mr. Brian P. Miles coming in from Philadelphia this evening on his favorite season after I received the probably the best Christmas card I ever got circa what was that 1952 Brian yeah, that one came late from? late 50s early 60s is yeah. my best guess oh my gosh that was amazing seasons Fantastic greetings and Merry Christmas everyone from the city of brotherly love Philadelphia so we're glad to have everybody aboard this month uh, as we talked about last month we had our event uh, the Lake and Lagoon Discovery Edition tour uh, over at the Contemporary. We had a great time, so we're going to talk a little bit that l- later. But we got some corrections and comments to go through here. Uh, Brian, th- my dad sent this to me after I spoke with him about our discussion of pork roll and Taylor ham, okay. and I know this strays from Disney. Not at all. This uh, is an essential but, part of the Disney experience. Well, it is. Be- this is right. One of the most important topics I think we've ever covered. Absolutely. In the history of the show. Exactly. Processed pork meat <laughs> products. Um, my dad found this and said a Taylor's ham, T-A-I-L-O-R, is a small and tightly stuffed pillow that resembles a ham. The tool is used when pressing curved areas of clothing, such as sleeves, cuffs, collars, and waistlines, so that the resulting iron fabric better follows the natural curves of the body. So I, I really find this interesting that it, Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, called it Taylor ham. And I'm, I'm really curious now to find out if there's any link between the Taylor company and a Taylor's ham and the product because it re- resembles a small uh, I think that was just the name of the butcher back in the mid-1800s. Oh, you just, so. you, you just, you, you just busted my ball. It's all right. I, I you, it was you, you and your dad okay. can believe what you want to believe. I'm with you, Mr. McCartney. All right. All right. There we go. 
So we will we'll do some more research on it. And Brian and I are still trying to come up with a way where we can make everybody pork roll sandwiches. So we'll get there. All right. So uh, last month we took you back to birthday land. That was a fun episode, guys. Huh? I I had I had fun putting that together. I know how you initially weren't excited about it, but by the time we went through it, we realized how much there was. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, fan favorite. So. Um, we had somebody write in here regarding that and knows that there's an actual live band for Mickey's birthday show. Um, I don't re- remember any live bands at all. Do, do we know if that was like a special one-off? or? It's ringing a bell because I want to say I actually knew somebody. Actually, I, it is true for two reasons. One, I swear I actually knew somebody who worked that show. I think who did the soundboards. Mm-hmm. And at one point, I think he said, you should go audition for that. And I said, uh, no, thank you. Because <laughs> I was I was playing keyboards pretty heavily at that point. And I was like, no, nah, I don't think that would be okay for me. And then uh, I think at least one of our listeners, um, I think it was Justin Stone, actually knew somebody uh, who also drummed for that show. Oh. So yeah, there was... there were, And I, I think the thing to keep in mind is this being a, uh, a show done by the live entertainment division. Right. They would have used as did all the shows at that point, they would have used live musicians in every show at the Magic Kingdom because they didn't, first of all, the the recording technology wasn't necessarily there with CDs and stuff. But secondly, it's a live show, so you never know what's going to happen. Someone might miss a cue or something, so the band can, you know, be there to compensate for it and and pick it up in real time. Um, But because it was part of the entertainment division, it's like, that's what their whole thing was. (laughs) They did live entertainment. So, yeah, yeah, they were going to put a band in there. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So, excellent. Well, thank you at Open Mother's Mail for sending that question in. Um, We have another one, and how this goes to you as well. Um, This this gave me a a good chuckle. Last month, you talked about how you were snorkeling uh, around one of the original subs from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And apparently... um, we had a listener write in that there was an SNL skit, uh, and the premise of the skit is that someone new is coming aboard the Nautilus and keeps questioning that we are traveling at 20,000 leagues <laughs> under the sea, and he's upset because leagues is a measurement of distance, and it's very funny. So I've got to find that one. I went looking for it, but we commented last month that you were going to write, what was it, 0. 8, 0.0008 miles uh, underneath, leagues underneath the uh, under Yes, the we... Sea. We went through that. We had that own debate. We had that debate here. And then I think you actually, uh, Todd, I think you looked up the actual measurement yeah. from like 20 feet down and converted it to leagues. So. Yep, exactly. Yes. So it was pretty funny. So if anybody knows about that uh, specific SNL skit and has it, let us know. But <laughs> it seems so obscure. It is. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it's such an obscure joke to make. Yep. So, all right. So those are some of our corrections and comments over the past couple episodes. So I'm going to hand it over to JT and Andrew to open up the listener mailbag here and uh, see what we got uh, for this month and look at that right on cue so so who was that from andrew (laughs) (laughs) he read the mail that was perfect that's fantastic (laughs) jt why don't you yeah why don't you translate that for us you 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 know him better than we do right now at this point all right so here we go uh going through we have quite a bit of mail first off thank you to everybody for writing in uh, I'm going to start with this one. Hiya, fellas. I started listening to the show last month on my way to the park, and now I've spent the entire month listening to your back catalog on the commute. Uh, even though I never got an experience to experience the Disney World you guys discuss on the show, uh, he says his first visit was in 2000, 
Uh, I've always been fascinated by History of the Parks and blown away by all the things I've learned from your show. I wish you all the best. Jacob Hill. So thank you for listening, Jacob. I love the back catalog catcher uppers. It's pretty cool. Yeah, another, another binge listener catching up, so... It's like free Netflix or something. You know, you get that season, you just go. It's amazing. I wonder how many emails we're going to, you know, if, if we're going to, if they're backed up an email from each episode where he's trying to enter the audio rewind contest. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Next, thanks, Jacob. Yeah. Thank you. Next up. Uh, hi there. First off, I've been binging your podcast since I discovered and went on the Lake and Lagoon tour. So thank you for coming to that. Anyway, my question is about the Fort Wilderness Arcade. When you go in, there's a little area upstairs with more games. Was that always just for video games? Just seems odd to have a tiny staircase to another room in an arcade. Thanks, guys. Dan. Anybody know? Because honestly, I can remember that always being the arcade from years and years and years ago. From my all of my visits, like there was always random games thrown throughout there. And if you guys don't know the area I'm talking about, it's like you're in um the the buffet gosh i can't the mm-hmm. name's leaving me um trails, trails end. end and yeah. you kind of walk through and you sort of walk towards crockett's tavern and you veered left it's kind of like if you went to the back of the restaurant back by river country back there that i can't way. think of anything more fun than lugging a, a stand-up full-size video game up a flight of stairs <laughs> to the second floor hey buddy they, they they pay guys like 12 bucks an hour to do that kind of labor so i wonder jt i Last month we we were talking about how the um, uh, the memorial plaque for Minimoo was upstairs somewhere, and I'm wondering if that's in the same area. So we I, might have to do yeah, some I'm reconnaissance. Sure. I'd have to check on that. Yeah, because it's honestly it's always just been games, and you know you'd go back there, and I the the selection has has gotten lame over the years. You know, not as good from what I can remember the last time I went. But I also haven't been arcade searching in a while too, like a ten year old. So. Um, but that was from Dan, and uh, thank you, Dan, for that. We'll, we'll kind of check on that. If we you know, get over there, we'll see if we can find anything else out. Yep. Next up, hello, I was recently at the Magic Kingdom, and while I was on the People Mover, I noticed a faint reflection in the window of the Progress City display. It was a sentence or two. I couldn't tell exactly what it said, but it seemed like something from the original World's Fair model. I was wondering if you had more on the subject. Thank you, Reese. So... Reese, you know, I never, ever noticed that. So when we were at the Magic Kingdom just a few weeks ago, um, prior to the Lake and Lagoon tour, I said, all right, I got to get on there. And the three of us, Jason, myself, and my wife were on there, and we took a look. And sure enough, the the words went by, and we, we tried to all remember what it was. And then we sent Brian and a few friends on a reconnaissance mission to confirm what what we saw. And I can tell you that the official title now it's a, it's a Pepper's Ghost, so that the you know the the words are are obviously above and, and behind you, so that's reflected on the glass. And it is very faint. Yeah. If, if you're not looking for it, not you, focused. You would on never it. know really that don't. it says, "Be sure no. and drink your Ovaltine." <laughs> yeah, exactly. A crummy commercial. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's kind of an awkward sentence because it uses a, a word twice, but it says. The city of tomorrow is a great electric city working for you. Um, we're going to have to do some research on the history of this and where it came from. Um, I don't know if you know anything, Hal, but I, I, it's kind of a clumsy it's, sentence. So what's just, weird is that that was not there. Uh, that certainly wasn't there during the 1980s, during its heyday. And I don't... Mm-hmm. If it got added any time, it was added during the Tomorrowland uh, rehab 
when they went and added a bunch of stuff up there because that was never there previously. Although it's funny because it is definitely a callback in a way to when it was sponsored by Edison Electric by the Edison Electric companies. Right, right. So that's and being this and, and then the vo- it's like. <laughs> It's it's almost like oh well we forgot to turn this on and we uncovered it yeah. so let's just turn it on in 1987. And, and what's, you know, what's really odd on top of that then is the fact that uh, in the voiceover part, you know, it's uh, if they still run the voiceover, there was thing of like the city of tomorrow. Walt Disney City of Tomorrow is presented by the Metro Retro Commission. Um, right, so I don't right. know if they then that would be in counter sort of to the to that message. So no, very strange. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe we'll do some digging and, and post uh, some questions on there. There's a few people that might know a little bit on it. But, uh, Reese, you're not crazy. I'm not crazy now for seeing it. Brian confirmed it and got us the correct verbiage. So um, it is indeed there. And for those of you who haven't seen it, just focus. Don't focus on the model. Focus on the glass, kind of about three-quarters, two-thirds the way up. And it's a very, very faint light blue. And wh- so, which Pennsylvania uh, city is known as the electric city? It must be Philadelphia. No. It, no, Pittsburgh. No, isn't it where Scranton? It is. I'm just Wait, who just Allentown. We're Din- Dunder Mifflin. It. it is Scranton. <laughs> yes, it's Scranton. Scranton. Oh, home of Dunder yeah, Mifflin. Dunder Mifflin. I think the sign is in the opening. It is in the opening the thing. Of, yeah. mm. That's right. That's Don't right. Don't make fun of Scranton. So. so shout out to all my Office fans out there who tweet with me about Michael Scott and that kooky wacky crew. <laughs> <laughs> Great show. Great show. Well, thank you very much, Reese. We'll uh, we'll let you know if we uncover anything else. The only way we're going to uncover more is if How takes one for the team, jumps out of the car, stops the ride, and gets a photograph up close. That's right in his wheel well, right there. Well, that practice. I I can I can cars. neither confirm nor deny that I've actually walked through the air conditioning systems and up into the catwalk that's on above that, and uh, assisted Hoot Gibson in fixing the airplane that takes off to take. The grandparents to, to like from the airport as they fly away from the from the oh. Disneyland show. So that may or may not have ever happened. But there there used to be there used to be a little projection of an airplane from a slide projector, and then there was a little mirror that was on a motor, and the mirror the projector would hit the mirror, and then the mirror would turn ever so slowly like this round mirror, and then that would make the airplane go from like the left side to the right side and cord up on a diagonal. And then it would That's go back brilliant. to the, its first position and then do it all over again. Cool. All right. Well, thanks again, Reese. Um, so this next one here, I'm going to butcher the last name. Keith Bailu. Bailu? Um, Keith has been sending us uh, transcriptions, transcripts, uh, whatever you want to call them, of uh, our, our podcast. He's kind of been meticulously going through, um, you know, di- dictaphoning, whatever you want to call yeah, it, to... Like to text uh, from our audio to text, basically. Now, we I, I don't know about you guys if we found something uh, automatic, but most times when you get into the automatic dictation, there's screw ups, there's issues, there's it just never works like you think it would. And Keith has d- done an amazing job. It's yeah, absolutely fantastic work, Keith. And and I did try an automatic transcription service, and um, it was with Amazon Web Services. Somebody had recommended it to us. Uh, the overhead and the the the, the cost and and then everything else it, it it was okay but it wasn't like what Keith is doing 
Um, and what's really great is we're going to be able to take this data uh, and put it into uh, basically a system that will aggregate the data together. And we can do searches and find out on exactly which episode did we mention Roy's cabin. You know, important things that inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> How many times <laughs> have we talked about pork roll? Those kinds of things. <laughs> exactly. Like yeah, yeah. Find question. out all locations but it's, of pork It's probably a good segue it. for us during the, uh, during the mail section to mention that Keith's work actually began as a result of starting the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society. Society and identifying yep. on that show the, the needs that we had of things we wanted to try to accomplish in 2019 and beyond. And Keith was one of the first volunteers to jump in and say, do you mind if I take a stab at it? And we said, yeah, sure. And the first example he sent us blew us away. And we're like, please carry on. This is fantastic. And uh, I think it's, it's probably worth mentioning now uh, that, you know, again, we'll be touching base with everybody who offered to volunteer early in 2019 yeah. with, with things to do. We've been overwhelmed, but just the overall support for the, for the, for our efforts uh, since we announced it has been amazing. And uh, the donations and the, the people, the, these uh, messages we get from people, I, I, I know I'm overwhelmed that I know. Very true. Yeah. It, it, it's been fantastic. And I have spent a good evenings uh, downstairs rolling the posters and stuffing them into tubes um, because the, everybody's donation has been so generous. So, you know, the, the response has been awesome and it's really great to hear from everybody who wants to help us out in all different ways. And uh, we will get to you. But again, thank you for everybody for, for their support. Uh, and Keith, you know, keep it up. Uh, I can't thank you enough for what you're doing. And um, we'll definitely, uh, when we get that into a database and get it searchable, we'll, we'll give you a firsthand account of, uh, what you've done and take so you can take a look at it all right so last uh letter here we have is uh from alan bowers he says hey one thing that i've never found a definitive answer is to why florida uh when one considers the heat humidity unpredictable weather weathering of the buildings insects limestone sinkholes etc he's uh he's wondering basically why florida was chosen as the spot definitively um, he says that other states were contenders, but I still wish it were built somewhere without the thing, the problems he listed above. And he kind of just we, we kind of have some answers for him on that and what we found in our research. But, uh, you know, interesting question from Alan. So do you guys want to take this one? All right. So uh, so I think the real key to this is the hiring of Harrison Buzz Price and his company over the years. So uh, this was not Florida was not chosen by accident. It was very well researched. Um, they looked at a number of different cities, and and oddly enough, as early as 1959, they were doing studies in Florida uh, to to try to figure out where was a good place. So uh, we actually, had, thanks to uh, the University of Central Florida, that we actually have Harrison Buzz Price's documents to look at, and they go in a lot of detail, uh, even as far back as 1959, and they compare. The rainfall between, interestingly enough, between uh, New York City, uh, uh, Anaheim, and then in, in South Florida, where they are initially looking, and uh, the trade-offs in the weather were really, uh, if if they were looking to build something on the East Coast and say like New York City during the winter time, it would be shut down completely. So uh, they considered the the weather in Florida, the heat and humidity. Uh, a fair trade-off so they could operate year-round with a, a minimum of shutdowns if they got uh, rainfall um, but they didn't really they didn't really see uh, the humidity and that stuff as a big problem 
And really the the big reason that they were interested in Florida is because there was already a built-in tourism base uh, of people up and down the East Coast that were already going to Florida and, uh, and locals. So uh, using a statistical model, um, in 1959, Disneyland had an attendance of 5 million people. 55% of those were Californians and 45% of those were outside. Um, they did some numbers and they figured that if they had opened up a Florida Disneyland in 1959, it would have 4,709,000 visitors in its first year. So, uh, out of the, uh, estimated 7.8 million tourists that came to Florida. So they would have matched the, uh, the attendance of Disneyland nearly in the first year. And by 1963, they projected that uh, Florida would have an attendance of six million. So um, they 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 had expected that that it's just a numbers game that that Florida would have uh, greatly or at least matched the attendance of Disneyland, which is really all that they were concerned about at the time. Brian, do you want to? add on any of that while I bring up the 60s data? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, the other the other piece of that is that they had had a they had had the experience in Missouri uh dealing with uh the 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 possible building of a indoor Disneyland in downtown St. Louis and <clears throat> there's a there were various problems that Walt ran into uh as they explored that uh, chiefly that in an established city, there were a lot of power players who wanted to have a say in certain aspects of the park, including the Bush family wanting there to be alcohol sales there because it's the home of Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. So, uh, and which was something Walt said that would never happen. And, and, uh, and so that's, part of the story there's a lot of other logistical reasons why they ultimately decided not to do it in st louis uh, but they really were looking for a virgin landscape a place where they could kind of write their own ticket and florida was uh, more open for business than i think some of the competing states um, there was a, a variety of factors there including the the book that that he read back then florida governors could only serve one term in fact i think over the period of time that they were conceiving and building Disney World there were something like five different governors by the time <laughs> by the time they by the time they cut the ribbon to open the place so there was there was a lot there was a lot of uh, compelling reasons to pick there but chief among them in those studies was the fact that Florida was a vacation destination i mean it was it was a place people from other places went for vacation yeah and i don't i don't know how big the georgia vacation trade was back <laughs> yeah, then yeah i I guess we can't rule out at the time, you know, um, Wiki, was it Wiki Wachi and, and St. Augustine and, and Silver... Uh, Fort Lauderdale and, and St. Pete yeah. Beach. Yeah. And, I mean, all of those, they were well-established uh, right, vacation. Right. In Miami, so this, obviously. I mean, Jackie Gleason was doing a weekly show from there. Ed Sullivan did his shows in the winter from there. Um, you know, it was... Uh, yeah, so part of it was definitely going to hang off of uh, off of that existing, uh, you know, uh, trade, if you yeah. will. Uh, in, in yeah, I mean, they definitely looked all around Florida, and uh, I did not realize. I mean, I've, I've heard Ocala thrown around a lot, but from the documents that we found, Ocala was the number one contender in 1960. And mm-hmm. and mm. this is the thing that, that we have to kind of, 
this timeline is incredibly fast. I mean, so here's Walt looking in Florida in 1959, just four years after Disneyland is open. He's, he's already doing this. Then the World's Fair comes around and his attention is, is kind of drawn off. But in 1960 and 1962, he is seriously looking in the Orlando area. The only thing that kept it from pulling the trigger back then was the World's Fair and their attention being drawn from it. Because by 65, they had already, they were buying property. So and, right, right. and part of those logistics, too, is remember, he was trying to build a city, not a theme park. Yeah. I mean, the theme park was like a, like yeah. a side thing. And Florida right, right. is accessible on three sides from, from the ocean and the Gulf. Uh, so if you're building a city... And you want it to be attractive to major corporations. You want them to be able to conduct commerce in and out. And it's easier to do that uh, from a sea-based city than it is from a state like Georgia. Yeah, so he, they really and, did. If it wasn't for the interstate system coming in to play, it would have been in Ocala. But once, once they decided to do the, um, the turnpike from north to south and then I-4 across and the B-line, that, that was it. Then Orlando became the number one contender. Uh, because there was just that much more uh, car traffic already. They just knew that the car traffic was going to go through there and it was could potentially bypass Ocala. And then it was just a matter of they had eight or nine properties that they were looking for in the Orlando area, and they found the nice big one, <laughs> which they called like the interstate property or something, that was in the south. And it's funny, they, they said, oh, if we get this one, we should just go ahead and buy that Bay Lake property too while we're at it. <laughs> so <laughs> that turned out to be almost like a, a tack on. But that's it. Yeah, it was. Th- it, the econ- isn't there an irony, though, that the, <laughs> the city that he wanted to build with no cars was built where it was because of the car access of its accessibility to cars. Yeah, and as and as we talked, yeah. air travel was still rather unique at that time. Yeah. You know, it's fun, funny in all this too is that if they had gone through to Ocala, Ocala wouldn't have been the welcome center. Orlando would have been the welcome center for those driving from the south. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so, so thank you, Alan, for your good. letter. That was uh, very yep. interesting. All right, so JT, I think that uh, wraps up the the mailbag. And uh, is Andrew off to uh, off to sleep now? He is at the moment. We'll see. We'll, we're, we're we'll see how we'll put a stop right. to that. I know, right? It's uh, you got one eye on him, one eye on the listener mail this month. But uh, if you'd like to be uh, have a question, you have a comment, anything at all, we we read it all. It, it really is, uh, you know it. I don't know if you guys have ever sent emails to people, you know, like fans or, you know, listeners of a show or something. It is, we, we do read them all. We don't definitely uh, skip them or anything. So it's very exciting to get them for us still. And uh, if you'd like to send something, podcast at retrowdw.com. We do, uh, we are on all the social medias, as Brian says at the end of every show. Send us a message on there if you'd like or or an email. We will We will read them all and potentially put yours on the next episode. All right, and well, JT, we're going to go now into the audio rewind as we always do. And, and oh, in a yeah. few moments, we're we're going to introduce another member of your family. It's like the Kuzier <laughs> family night, but we'll we'll get to that in a couple minutes. Uh, first, we have to talk about last month's audio rewind. So, uh, uh, did any of you guys pick it up? Because we had a lot of listeners write in with guesses that were very close, but we had a few that got it. But uh, it could have gone. Many different ways. Um, did you, any of you pick it up? I don't uh, remember when we have a normal break between the podcasts. Okay. I totally <laughs> Let alone a long one. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let's take a listen to last month's Audio Rewind.
All right, so we got a lot of listeners uh, write in uh, for Pinocchio's Village House. Uh, that was the incorrect answer. It's actually background music to the Germany Pavilion in Epcot. So similar, uh, but I, we know that these specific tracks did come from Germany. So we do have a winner. So congratulations to Ryan and Katie Welsh. Uh, I don't know who it was that wrote in. Their email says both. So we're going to congratulate them both. Fight over it. Yeah. That's right. You're going to fight over Only the Burger prize. King calendar. <laughs> the, um, but we'll send the, the Burger King calendar out to you. And uh, Brian, what year was it? They can use it uh, 2021. 1992. They can use it next year in t- uh, 2020. In 2020. 2020. So Look you at, just awesome. Put it right in that December That's, in bin for next year so you can hang it up. Uh, but don't try to use the Burger King coupons in there because they expired 25 years ago. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It might look a little funny at you. So um, we are going to throw in one of our Lake and Lagoon posters this month, one of the standard oh, edition posters. Nice. Yeah, that's going to go um, for this month. If you guess the answer to this month's Audio Rewind. If you think you know the answer to this month's Audio Rewind, send your guesses to contest at retrowdw.com. All correct entries will be entered into a random drawing to pick the winner. And you will the winner will receive one of the posters that we just talked about. And all entries should be received by January 10th, 2019. All right. Now, we're going to add something to the prize pot. This is uh, our final prize pot of the year. Um We've been adding all sorts of stuff to it. We're going to add in uh, one of our numbered limited edition versions of the poster with all four of us signing. It's going to be the final item thrown into this prize pot. So, uh, JT, why don't you run down what else is in the the pot? And then we're going to uh, give a little call to your sister who's at Epcot right now. We're going to dial her in to help choose the winner. All right, so starting off in July, we had a Disney World sewing kit, one of the ones from the in-room, whatever you call it, care kits or whatever they were. They gave you a lot more back then, it seemed like. Uh, August, we have the official WDW Disneyland new sealed vinyl album, uh, LP, record, whatever you want to call it. Uh, September, D23 gold member kit, Featuring Mickey, that was the that's a big one for the prize pot. That's the one that's went out to uh, D23 members uh, right before the event. Uh, October, I have a a stack of Disney news from the 90s, and I think uh, our last item was the poster, right? Or did I miss anything? I think I think you've got it all. So okay. it's quite quite the uh, prize pot there. Now, JT, let's refresh some of the listeners. the The very first year you utilized uh, the uh, computer. To pick the ran- the randomness, right? It was the random a, it number. Was a 1986 uh, computer in my basement. Yeah, it fired yep. up once. Thought that had more life, but it didn't. That was it. Right. So the the RAM blew or something on that. <laughs> yeah. you, you couldn't get it. Yeah. Fixed. So, uh, and then the following year, you went a little old school with the you. I, I believe <laughs> you and Brian snuck into something on the Jersey Shore boardwalk and got one of those big giant wheels with the leather flapper i don't know brian were you a part of that or was this all jt i think that was all jt yes. yeah it had all me. right i'm just I making wrote sure. every name on a space yeah it was huge it was like 18 feet tall and we gave it a spin with the flapper you're yeah. right on the pegs and, and then what happened on that one the bearings froze yeah it, it had one spin on it one well more than one spin and that was it it just yeah. that was it 800 names that's a lot of weight for yeah. sharpie pens yeah. so 
Uh, and then, and then mid this year, you uh, decided to uh, uh, utilize one of those uh, lottery machines with the balls. Yes, the ping pong balls. We wrote every name on a ping pong ball. Uh, every name from every entry. That's a lot of ping pong balls, and they they ran through the machine and through that curly Q looking shoot right up to the thing, yep. and that was the winner right there. This and, year, and though, f- we got that. That's yeah. that just was too many ping pong balls. That's just flat out yep. laziness by me. I don't want to do that again. So this one <laughs> is it true that you <laughs> use those leftover ping pong balls to raise a ship from the from the bottom of Bay Lake? <laughs> oh, very nice. Raise the oh. Titanic reference. Oh, Fantastic. Man. That, that would be great. Yeah. It's the walrus is needing a little help, so maybe we can use it to get the walrus out. If you if you were in the prize pot. Uh, for the first half of 2018, your name on a ping pong ball might help raise the walrus. <laughs> That's right. You never know. So we got this idea for to how to pick this prize pot when we were doing the uh, one of the recent episodes about uh, game shows, I believe. And we said, oh, you know what? Let's do the kind of the phone a friend thing where I believe how uh, when they did uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire play it, they would your phone, your phone a friend was just a random person on the street. It was, yeah. Phone a random stranger. Right. So what we're going to do here is that we have uh, JT sisters actually at Epcot right now. And uh, we're going to give her a call. And she's in the land pavilion and uh, is going to get somebody coming off of Soren to randomly pick a number. And then that will equate to the winner. So uh, let's give her a call now. Hello. Hey, Katie. Hi. Hey, this is Todd McCartney from the Retro Disney World Podcast. How are you tonight? I'm great. How are you? Excellent. So we got your brother JT on the line, and he's not going for a million dollars, but he no. does want to answer a qu- have you ask a question <laughs> of somebody. All right, Katie. So I need you to find somebody at, uh, we just introduced this, at Living with the Land. You're at the exit there, uh, and you have to have them pick a number, random number, one in 520 between those in, in that range. 522, JT. Oh, 522. One in yeah. 522. Sorry, I didn't want to leave those last two out. My fault. Yeah, yeah. We, we would get some uh, <laughs> hate mail. Exactly. Okay, so between one and 522? Yes. Right, and you can put them on the line. If they want to speak to to the podcast host, you can put them on the line, and we'll, we'll talk to them as well. Okay, I'm looking for somebody that is coming off the line. Let's see. We're going to entice them with a pin, JT. Yes, get, get yeah. Something. Pins so, and stickers and some retro WDW swag. Katie's a good sport for doing this, just going up to random people. Don't get and, uh... punched. <laughs> Hi, excuse me. I'm talking to my brother, and he does a Disney podcast. Do you want to give us a random number between 1 and 522? And they'll send you a free pin. Do you want to do it? Okay, here. Do you want to tell him real quick? 53. 53. Oh, okay, 53. May we ask their name and where they're from? You can put them on the phone if you like. Soren, right outside of Soren. So, and uh, where are you from? St. Petersburg, Florida. St. Oh. Petersburg, Florida. Awesome. All right, okay. thanks, Katie. We appreciate you doing that and uh, get their information, and we will uh, we will send that to them. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, Katie. Appreciate it. All right, bye. 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 All right. So, with that, the winner, according to our database here, with that number is Paul Zimmerman. Congratulations, hey, Paul. Paul. Yay. Oh. You win this year's prize pots, uh, half of your prize pots. We'll get that out to you. Uh, thank you to everybody listening over the course of the year and getting your entries in. We will be back next year with uh, some sort of additional prize pot. We haven't figured out exactly what we're doing yet, but we will let you know. But again, if you know the answer to this month's Audio Rewind, get your question, or get your answers in by January 10th, 2019 to contest at retrowdw.com. 
All right, well, this month's main topic is holiday potluck, and uh, we decided to have uh, a couple of us choose a, a topic around the holidays that we wanted to talk about, and uh, we've got a countdown at the end. Uh, I've got some photos I'm going to talk about, but uh, Brian, you've got the, you're going to kick it off here with your first portion of potluck. So what do you have in the uh, in the Tupperware container there? Well, this is, it's like a Christmas carol, except all three of us are the ghost of Christmas past. Uh, we're just we're just focusing on a different on a different thing every every time. So uh, tonight we're going to talk about I'm going to talk about along with you fellas the 1991 video direct to video sold in the parks called the Magic of Christmas at Walt Disney World. We'll post the link in the show notes so you can click on the YouTube uh, and uh, watch uh, some people who've helpfully uploaded uh, their copies. But this was a video that was sold in the parks as a souvenir alongside. A day at Epcot Center and a day at the Magic Kingdom, which were two souvenir videos, which are also on YouTube, that they uh, periodically updated and reissued until they started selling DVDs. And then now you can get all that stuff for free online, so they don't do that stuff anymore. But uh, it was something that you would buy in the parks and take home so you could remember your visit. Uh, And they sold quite a few of them, but uh, they had a special one that was only sold during the holidays called The Magic of Christmas at Walt Disney World. And Brian, we should probably add, too, that this is still a time where, um, you know, personal VHS recorders are still expensive. So bringing home is still trying to get it's a way of advertising and getting you know this this into the hands of friends and family and enticing them. So the funny thing about it is that watching it, uh, you know. Those of us who were around in the 2000s, they used to mail out these video cassettes and later DVDs, vacation planners, where it was literally all the content that they were charging these people like $25 back then to take (laughs) home. Suddenly it just became a free thing uh, that they would send you to entice you to to buy a vacation package. Uh, But this particular one focused on the holidays and the setting for it when it opens up is Santa in his workshop. Uh, opening letters by the uh, by the fireside, and he opens a letter from a six-year-old named Karen, uh, who asks him, "Santa, my family and I are going to be in Walt Disney World for Christmas. Is there anything to do there? Do they do anything special for Christmas?" <laughs> and Santa's like, "Funny, you should ask." She asks him, "Do they have a big tree? Do they sing carols?" So Santa grabs his pen and decides to write Karen a letter back, which he helpfully narrates out loud throughout the entire video so that you, you can follow along. Uh, but And I, I will say the set, this, this is an improvement over what we saw in the 70s, too. It's a good set. It's, it's much better than the you know, Geppetto one we saw back in <laughs> the 70s. Completely representative um, of the upgrades that had occurred throughout yeah. the company, including in production uh, by that point. Yeah. That's Santa. So, I'm watching so, this. That so, is, so, yeah, Sa- Santa, Santa writes back, and the first thing he tells her is, uh, not only do they do special stuff that he's going to tell you about, but he says, Mrs. Claus and I make a special visit there every Christmas day, uh, which is a reference to the Christmas parade that they that they would broadcast live around the country, because back then it was still live. They didn't pre-record it. On Christmas oh, Day. On Christmas yeah. morning. They would, they oh, would, my gosh. When you actually saw the parade yes, on that show. Yes, so instead of now. watching... Backstreet Boys or something performing on stages and stuff. <laughs> so uh, they open up in warehouse number nine because Santa wants her to know that they spend a lot of time getting ready for for Christmas. So 
They uh, they open up in warehouse number nine with Mickey, Goofy, Dopey, and Pluto in the warehouse to see all the Christmas supplies. And so you go in and there's gingerbread men and toy soldiers from the parades and all just kind of sitting there. They haven't come to lights yet, but they turn the lights on and all the parade characters start dancing around to rocking around the Christmas tree. And Santa turns into Santa Goofy and the rest of the gang, Chip and Dale, Donald, <laughs> Daisy, they all show up to join in the celebration. Everybody's just so happy to be in the warehouse. That's how I am when I decorate for Christmas. I'm just so excited. <laughs> This 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 has got to be filmed at MGM. I'm lo- I'm looking at the doors on the outside and yeah. the inside and the unfinished uh, warehouse look. It's got to be one of the sound stages. Yeah, there it's there's some telltale like background stuff. Sometimes you can see and you're like, yeah. I don't know where that is, and then you think I yeah. need help because I know where that is. So in one of them, I see the set of Teen Men Loser Draw in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so their first stop out of the warehouse is the Magic Kingdom, where the seven dwarves decorate with wreaths and garland, and Santa makes a mention of that the bakery is using uh, is, is preparing Christmas treats. And one of the things that it does uh, in the bakery, they have open the second edition of Cooking It with Mickey at Walt Disney World. So they put out those two cookbooks, uh, this was the, the the actual updated edition, and they're sitting there. Uh, the the baker is using it to prepare some holiday treats right there in the Main Street Bakery. So that was a little thing, and we gave one of those away last year as a as yeah. a as a monthly prize. So uh, that I thought that was a neat thing that I picked up in there. Uh, but Santa tells her about how Center Street is used for sleigh pictures. They used to set a sleigh up. Uh, in Center Street with a photographer where they would take pictures for, for your like family Christmas photos. Uh, and then uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol shop in Fantasyland, they visited there. Uh, and then they made mention of the Country Bears Christmas special, which we've talked about on prior episodes uh, and lament its lack of a return yet. Although we still hold out hope that someday it'll come back. But there's some nice shots from in there. And then Santa leaves the Magic Kingdom to start telling her about who else is decorating the other resorts? Uh, so mm. first they go to the Grand Floridian where the White Rabbit, Alice, and the Red Queen uh, are decorating for Christmas. And the creepy Victorian mannequins are there that I have mentioned that we <laughs> talked about before. And I tweet those pictures every year. We'll put them in the show notes here just like we did back on episode 37. We, we put them in those show notes, too. But there were these creepy mannequins set up by the smaller <laughs> Christmas tree display in the in the main lobby of the Grand Floridian. And they were in like these Victorian get ups and like holding them like a mandolin or something like that. It is so <laughs> bizarre looking. Costume. But yeah, but they have but they have them. They're, they're in the video. They're in this. They're in this video. So you can you can see them. Why? There. Why? Why did they go from Magic Kingdom and then they just go into resorts? Why didn't they hit up Epcot? Because they have GM? 22 yeah. minutes to cover all That's this right. stuff. And it's you got a lot of resorts. They're, they're, this was, and they're highlighting some of the newer resorts, right. yeah, too. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. from there, they go to Yacht Beach, which was, you know, uh, only a year old when they filmed this. Uh, and there it was Captain Hook and Mr. Smee and the Crocodile. Uh, and then Peter Pan shows up to help them decorate because they're all one big happy decorating family. What's what's interesting about the transition too is that Santa actually checks off yes. the resort before he goes yes. there. He's like, "Oh, I then got this we're one going covered." To and then Fort Wilderness, and you see Pluto <laughs> right, check decorating around <laughs> Fort Wilderness. And uh, yep. interestingly enough, because the newest resort that had opened here was Port Orleans, uh, and Brer Rabbit 
Brer Rabbit, rather, Brer Fox, and Brer Bear. The whole Brer family uh, is there. But the best part about it is that Brer Fox is on a ladder hanging garland, and the bottom of his ladder is balanced on like one of them jester's noses. And it's like, <laughs> ha, 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 look at that. It's not really because it's a trick shot, but uh, I, 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 spoil I have the magic to go back to you. Fort Wilderness yes. because they. Uh, I love the, the, the any promo shot you see at Fort Wilderness. I don't know if somebody's ever done this. You have to let me know. They always put people on the balcony at Pioneer Hall, <laughs> yes. which nobody goes out there ever. No, yeah, you're not allowed there. <laughs> yeah, like that. And then there's of course just horseback riding, walking right past Pioneer Hall, which just is like not ever, you know, like solo, like Indiana Jones just trotting down the the, the drag there. That's great. <laughs> so after he. Uh, bangs around uh, all of these uh, resorts and shows the different <laughs> characters like and it is these are like 10 12 second shots of these resorts yeah if even that long then he's like yeah and everybody has to do epcot center because it's such a big job and so they they they're they're swirling around and they bring you to epcot center and he says everything's laden with lights and garland and wreaths galore even the park guests get carried away and they show like a guy walking by in like a Santa hat. And it's a like, there's some great early nineties footage of, 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 of people, just random guests, of people and, in their nineties uh, garb. People. Yeah. Like, yes. Yes. The fashion statements. And, and like they it's, just it's came really from a, a color me bad capsule. concert. You know, it's, <laughs> there, there is a cool aerial shot at Epcot at the beginning. It's kind of yeah. panning, you know, towards the, we'll say, I don't know, the left. If you go through the main entrance, you can see horizons and world of, uh, world of motion, still normal and all that stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's, it's great. Uh, they talk about world showcase and how the, you know, each of the countries has a different celebration. They go from country to country with, uh, you know, uh, Bona Natal and God Yule and like each each cast member from the countries saying Merry Christmas uh, or Happy Holidays in their in their own language. Uh, and then uh, they they the toy soldiers from the Epcot parade or from the Magic Kingdom parade uh, visit their own toy store, the, the wooden soldier toy store in in the UK. Uh, and then the Robin Hood characters, for some reason, decide to promote the Christmas performances in Showcase Plaza. Uh, that they, <laughs> they were big in the nineties. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm amazed by the albino reindeer. Yeah, I noticed that too. It's the old style too, with the tongue hanging out. Yeah. Why are they? Why are, there's a couple uh, albino all, all white ones, and, and then later on when they're on the, they're dancing around the jitney bus. Uh, they're the regular brown. Well, right. right and so that it's is one of the things I wanted to mention about the the Jitney bus, the double decker bus that, you know, was <clears> was <throat> guest transportation originally by the early 90s. It had become used for shows. They would put the characters or other dancers and performers on it and drive it around World Showcase to bring them on stage in this at this time frame. They were using it to bring uh, the, the holiday decked out uh, characters out onto World Showcase, uh, but they, they put a giant banner on it that says season's greetings and decorate the bus with, uh, you know, typical garland and stuff like that. But the really neat thing is the characters. I mean, the characters all have some form of holiday enhancement to their to their outfits. Uh, mm. So some of them, they all have a holiday overlay, if you will, uh, yep. which, was, which was really neat to see. Uh, and they perform a song... You know, we, we have this thing where people for the parade at uh, Magic Kingdom, for the Very Merry Christmas Parade, make fun of the lyric, once upon a time at Christmas time, this Christmas, or whatever it is, because it's so repetitive. Uh, the song they sing here when they jump off the bus is, 
It's Christmas time, Christmas time, Christmas time, Chris, Chris, Christmas time. So wow. it's not Original. really Sherman Original. Brothers-esque, uh, but somebody uh, was earning royalties probably for each mention of the Chris part of, of Christmas because it's just repeated <laughs> over and over again. Uh, it's actually the longest segment of the video, I think, is this and the, and the finale. Uh, but it is interesting to see the little Christmas additions to the cast, uh, to the characters. Uh, and yeah. then they shift back to decorations again. And so, I, I, you know, she asked about it. Karen asked in her letter whether there was a tree. So Santa shows her the Magic Kingdom tree and Tinkerbell and fireworks. And then there's another tree at Epcot Center, he tells her. And there's illuminations there. And then there's different trees at Yacht and Beach Club. He says it exactly like I'm saying it to you. Like, he's so excited <laughs> about these different trees. And there's a tree at the Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village. And then... There's a preview of house thing. It's New Year's Eve every night at Pleasure Island. And he's showing fireworks <laughs> going off and everything. Like, Karen is, cannot wait to get there with her family. <clears throat> like, in another 12 years, Karen, you're really going to enjoy <laughs> yeah. this. Pleasure Island's all you. <laughs> so uh, they do a quick fly into the brand new uh, Jolly Holidays dinner show at the Contemporary, which ran until 1998. And we talked about that on episode 37. Um, the Disney Village Marketplace, they showed Jiminy Cricket. You'll see, you know, how I forget how he words it, but it's something about, you know, surprise characters. And so they showed Jiminy Cricket, because a cricket means Christmas, welcoming you to the Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village. But there are some... There's some great Inside the Christmas Chalet. Yeah, inside what became the world of Disney, but at that time was the Christmas Chalet. Um, yeah. It's, oh my God, that family has the most nineties outfit. <laughs> oh yeah, like, yeah. Her, her little jean jacket. On. Yeah. Holy and, cow. Yep. Oh, the old Christmas. Oh, yeah. look at that. And then they they take a Polaroid, Dang. a Polaroid of uh, the kid next to the giant Minnie and Mickey uh, stuffed animals that they sell there. Uh, one of the things I thought was really neat was they show you the animated windows that used to be down there, telling mm. you the Christmas Carol story uh, with with Scrooge, which I, was really neat. And of course, one of them though, Scrooge is, seems to be having a seizure. It's like it's broken. Well, He's shaking all over the place. I think it might have been. I, I get maybe he's supposed to be quivering in his. Yeah, boots I think that. Him. I think that's it. I think he's supposed to be afraid. Now they still pull those out during the holiday time. At least one of okay. those windows will still will be. It is probably in Main Street right now. I, I do know they switch those um, Emporium, some of those Emporium windows over for, for the yeah. holidays, and there's usually stuff there. But yeah, they used to have that stuff down at the, like, you didn't used to have to pay admission to see them. <laughs> I like that Scrooge a lot. <laughs> Isn't it great? Yeah, he's he's just freaking out. <laughs> and, and then, uh, of course, they mentioned the glory and pageantry uh, nativity show uh, that ran forever, and there's a pretty lengthy section of that that they show you uh, to give you a flavor of what that show used to be. A very reverential show that we've discussed on both of our prior Christmas episodes. Yep. I like how, since everybody had to stay still, they do this nice, like, pan shot around, and it looks like a bullet It, it does, but I will tell you the thing that I found interesting, because everything we've seen before, like, 25-year-old home videos that have that kind of distortion that uh, the time renders to those old half-inch tapes, and... and uh, the outfits on some of the people paying tribute to the baby Jesus, it's like, they look like they're from like merry old England in the 1700s. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't think people at the dawn of, you know, of, of the century of the millenniums wore stuff like that. Like, 
Oh yeah, but yeah, he, so, so here's the the so the conceit of the show was that uh, the shop owners in Lake Bonavista oh. also brought <laughs> gifts to the baby Jesus. <laughs> These weren't random vacation goers. Our friend BJ Major could have brought him up like a snack, a burger, yeah, from the light bite. You know, they could have had somebody from Wetzel's Pretzels could have gone up there and dropped off, a, like, you know, a pepperoni pretzel to them. But what's nice is, like, we've never been this close up to these people before. All the, Well, that's just it. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is actually wonderful. Yeah. So so you got to watch it just for that because, really, there I don't know that there was ever a production video done, even internally, of that show. And it's a shame now because, I mean, it ran for 25 years or whatever it was. And there's there's, other than home videos, there's really no record of it. Uh, so that is absolutely worth your time. And when they leave there, they shoot over because remember Karen asked if there were Christmas carols. Uh, yes, they show the voices of Liberty at Epcot. They then show caroling at the resorts, which I don't know if it was a thing or if it's a thing they just did for the video, but Snow White is sitting there at the Disney Inn leading, uh, children in the, in the lobby in some, in some Christmas caroling. Uh, and they show resorts with other characters. All the resorts where Pluto was at Fort Wilderness and uh, and uh, Hook and Pan were at uh, Port Orleans. They then panned all of those guys. There's the quick cuts of them leading Christmas caroling at their respective resorts where they were decorating. Because uh, I always wanted to do Christmas carols with Captain Hook. So because he, <laughs> he, he screams, he screams the, the spirit of the season to me. Um, and then this is this was a this was a, a laugh line for me uh, when put into current context. They say, and on two special nights before the holiday, they present the candlelight ceremony in front of the Main Street Station. Two nights, two nights they did the <laughs> candlelight processional, and now I think it starts on Halloween or something like that. They, yeah, yeah. If, if you missed it back then, that was three it. Three shows were nightly, uh, but they're just about to wrap up at that point after they finish showing you uh, the, the candlelight processional. Which, by the way, if you'd never seen it at the Magic Kingdom, uh, it was a majestic presentation there with with a whole lot more people involved than what they did at uh, what they do at Epcot now. Uh, so there's some good footage of that and showing you how the whole thing was laid out and they lined Main Street with people holding candles and, and stuff like that. And then, it, of course, it ends on Christmas Day. Uh, they yep. show you a significant portion of uh, the the Christmas Day parade. And Santa, of course, is the last float that uh, ends the parade while they're doing it. And the whole time uh, they are. Well, I, I, hold on. I should say that it starts with Mickey coming out of his Toontown house. Uh, to go join the festivities in the gang, uh, and then they show scenes from the parade, and it includes with the vi- uh, concludes rather with a video of "Have a Holly Jolly Christmas" and a bunch of the parade characters dancing around. And I bet the Santa sleigh doesn't break in this one. The Santa—that is a very <laughs> recent reference to something that happened the other day at Disneyland. But that's right. Uh, and they, at the very end, they do push the Magic Kingdom and Epcot videos at the end, they, which is they great. do. They but say, "Don't forget, don't forget, take these they, home too, Karen." You know, that's right. That's right. But it's a lot of fun. Uh, I was, I had not actually watched it before. I knew it, I knew it existed. Uh, yeah. But I had not actually watched it before. Uh, and then when we were pulling the show together, I said, you know what? This would be fun to do. Because we always love re- re- recapping these these uh, time capsule yeah. videos. Yeah. We'll have to go through the, the day at, uh, at some point, too, because they're, they're, 
we're, we're getting into the time yeah. frame now. We're turning into that yeah. 25 I'll tell minute. you, I'm not much of a parade person, but I just love that unit with the dancing Christmas trees and the dancing snowmen. There's just something yes. about that that just makes you smile. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah, those parades, because uh, I remember, I mean, I've... I've been a Christmas party fan since the since the nineties, uh, the the hard ticket Christmas party. So it was always neat to see those parades at night, uh, and and see some of the unique characters in them. And some of them have you'll notice when you watch that some of that stuff was around a long time, but it's not in the parade anymore. Uh, so it's so it's neat to see. I know the reindeer have changed <laughs> over the years. They've they've updated the look of the reindeer and. Uh, yeah. I don't know if they still have the dancing trees or not. Did we see trees? I don't think we saw trees because Todd and I watched it last month. And yeah, yeah, there was no trees, but the the reindeer, the reindeer. Now I I think they're pretty yeah. cute. They work. Yeah, they work. That's so. no, a great parade. Cool. It's my. It's it's. You know, yeah. I don't want to say it's my favorite because all the Halloween people yell at you, but it's uh, <laughs> it's it was a lot. Of fun. It is a lot of fun. Well, thank you, Brian, for that uh, trip back to the 90s. And uh, I'm going to continue the tradition here of the 90s. So, guys, I'm going to send you this link. And officially, we are going into 2019, which means officially we can talk about 1994 now, I guess, uh, when you look at it. So my grandparents had their first experience with Jolly Holidays and uh, uh, visiting the uh, resort during the the, uh, Christmas season in 1994. And um, I, they had a, about 120 or so photos that were in an album. I scanned them all in and put them on an online album <laughs> here. And I want to kind of go through it. And, you know, we're going to talk about the holiday stuff. There's some great time capsule stuff from 1994, the new Tomorrowland under construction and all sorts of stuff. But there's really a lot of great photos if you open it up. So um, my grandmother, you'll, you, nothing's really in order. I, I left the order that she put the album together. So you'll notice that they're in Tomorrowland. And before you know it, she's taking photos of the of the, of the the crew on Continental Airlines. So uh, things are a little a little out of order. She was always, uh, my grandmother was always um, appreciative of the pilots and, and the stewards. So she would, uh, and stewardesses, she would always compliment them and take photos. And that could have even been Kiwi Airlines, but they loved Continental. So um, what's great is that for those who remember aviation history, if you look carefully in one of the photos, it's, it looks like it's a 727 flying them down. And uh, there's a shot into the cockpit. And um, it's definitely a 727 because I can see the window of the cockpit, uh, the side window. But there's a navigator sitting in there. This is when they were three, still three-person crews. Wait, um, they don't do that anymore? <laughs> no, not on most most flights, even your, your uh, long overseas flights, seven, eight, nine hours. I'll have a two-person crew piloting. Sometimes on the really long flights, they have four, and they, they rest while two to navigate. Did they invent a so, computer or something that's capable of navigating airplanes now? <laughs> that is exactly correct, How There are computers that do the navigator's job now. So. Oh, man. He used to monitor engines and different things on the airplane. And remember, watch the airplane movie and the, even the spoofs, you know, uh, the, the original airport and then the spoofs airplane. Um, there's three three individuals in the cockpit. So. Flight 209 are clear for Vector 324. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now our radio clearance over. My grandparents stay at the Grand Floridian. They, this is where they really fell in love with that resort. Um, and they open up here with a lot of... The, the poinsettias uh, outside in the in the, in the courtyard. Um, the I love the picture of the guy standing out there in the old timey outfit, and he's roasting chestnuts in the courtyard for people. Which is a thing they and actually that, did, um, and yeah. they still they still sometimes I think during these uh, I know during the holiday parties I bought but during the Osborne lights they used to sell 
roasted chestnuts uh, on the side. Mm-hmm. So uh, if they don't do it today, they, it is a thing they used to do. Yeah. And what's neat about when my grandparents go inside, they caught the Grand Floridian in being decorated. So my grandfather took photos of the skeleton of the tree, of the the, the, the crates with pieces on it. Um, and then they, he finally has some pictures of it of it completed. So it's a, it's a neat little time capsule of, of the progress of building the tree in the Grand Floridian. The really helpful thing here, Todd, is the exoskeleton of the tree, <clears throat> which, now, which yes. now allows people like me who want to recreate the tree, uh, the framework now to figure out how to build one. Yeah, yeah. So if you want, we can we can we'll draw this up for you and you can send one up 25, 30 feet. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> then my grandparents then um, go into the Magic Kingdom, and again they've got a lot of different pictures of uh, of the decorations. Um, I, I found this one particularly interesting. There's a picture of my grandmother and grandpa. They're separate photos um, of them sitting in a in a sleigh that you could. Uh, sit in and it looks to be on east or west center street it's hard to tell which which one it is i, I can't really tell from that but with all these poinsettias and trees and all this decor decoration around them let me see um, if i can find where's uh, let's find that it must be uh, actually now if you look at the picture of my grandfather in the oh, model t uh <laughs> he's in a model you can t. see this yeah yeah you can see the sleigh behind him and i don't know how is that it, it, oh, is yeah. that is that West Center Street? Uh, that is the I one that's that not be... there anymore. Yeah, so that's that's West Center Street. So yeah. that's kind of a neat use of that of that area. Um, so then the uh, as Brian was pointing out earlier, the uh, Jolly Holidays. My grandparents absolutely fell in love with this, and they they you know they came home and said, "You got to go see this." So they took quite a number of photos of the Jolly Holidays uh, show uh, that was on the stage at uh, at the Grand Floridian, which is which is really neat. Um, and then the, the, the photos, um, end here with a walk through Epcot, which I think, you know, I think some of those, these decorations are still used today, uh, or that, that tunnel of light that, but they retired that, right? That whole tunnel oh, of light was the, the lights that of was, winter. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that was so cool. Yeah, it that, is really neat. And even during the daytime, it looks neat. Well, all the, all the trellises and, 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 and white that went over it. Is this yeah, their room? Know. Did they stay at the Grand Floridian? They did stay at the yeah. So there's pictures. Of the room. isn't that uh, oh. isn't that nineties? Yeah, it's rough. It's it, but rough. it's it's so like comforting for some reason for me. I don't know why. Like these nineties. <laughs> if you're in a if you're in a barbershop quartet and you like vertical stripes, <laughs> it's it's perfect. What is it about nineties photos that make them look nineties? What is the technical reason they look that way? Like why you know, you know what I'm saying? Like well, an eighties VHS no, the, tape looks like yes. an eighty. Like nineties photos have a certain like tinge to them or something. The, 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 that's true. Well, what ha- what especially is that a lot of people in the '90s started using more of the point and shoot type cameras. Yes, where you drop your 35 millimeter in and you wouldn't have to do anything. Some of the older ones in the '70s, '80s were more true. Uh, what they call today SLR cameras, where you had the reflect- reflective lens drop down, and um, so you were looking through a much much smaller, tighter uh, um, uh, lens. And uh, what happens is you didn't get the fine resolution that you got earlier on. Um, also on top of it, most people just use something what was called 400 speed film. And the, the, the number uh, equates to how the film reacts to light. Um, if you had a 100 speed film, you would want to use that outside. And if you were taking pictures of fireworks, you'd want to use something like 1600 or 1800. So not to bore everybody, but 99% of people went out and they would always buy 400 film. 
So you combine that with the smaller lenses and the automatic cameras, and, and what happens is you start to see the grain in the photo. And if you ever notice in, in darker photos, you, you see the grain, the little dots uh, in the film image, uh, if, if you look carefully. Um, if you had a higher speed and darker, you wouldn't see that and vice versa. So, but, but the processing, you know, the, everywhere you went, the processing was, was pretty much the same, but the, you're, they're not super sharp. You did not have the, the fidelity that we're used to today. You did not have the fidelity, um, a lot of pictures because the film just got, you know, washed out. And, and let's face it, most people were doing just what we're doing today with our camera, with our camera phones. We're just pointing and clicking. We're not adjusting anything. Um, and then you've got the ultimate stamp of the 90s with the digital date in the bottom right. Yeah. Now. I love the fact that they took a picture of the soap arrangement in the bathroom. Yes. Yes. That's my. And you can see the phone that's like in the bathroom because that's a, the sign of a very classy hotel is when there's a telephone in your bathroom. And, and that's exactly why my grandma, she would take these photos and then develop them and bring them back home to show us exactly what it was. And I remember her calling us. Uh, telling us that there was a phone from the, uh, and well, you, I'm using yeah. the toilet, Todd. Exactly. <laughs> and if you look carefully, you can see my grandfather's. Uh, he always used a Norelco three three rotating blade shaver. Oh, it's gosh. plugged in. <laughs> Charging and there's up. The hair, there's one of those hair dryers on the uh, on the wall above it. Uh, it. Look, you think it's a phone at first, but it's one of those uh, early hair dryers that was attached to the wall. You pull the thing off and start. Start I did so, see two two unique ones here. One, it kind of brought back a memory, and this is very obscure. That archway walking into Tomorrowland, I always remembered being a clear globe all around it, and now it's gone. And I was like, maybe I imagined it as a kid. This actually has the big clear globe around all the yeah. trash, and now it's gone. I remember it got foggy. I'm guessing that's why they got rid of it. And then Probably the, similar to the pyramids. <laughs> yeah. And then the uh, uh, alien encounter under construction is kind of cool, too. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of neat stuff in there. One of the um, other reasons, and, by the way, for the phone in the bathroom was it was a place to go take a call in private. Because um, you know true. these these rooms, you you know a lot of times you had families there with two or three kids, and if the dad had to talk to the office, you know, or the mom had to had to call back home to the, to work, uh, they uh, they could slip into the bathroom and you know discuss the big uh, Peterson account. Gotcha. Todd, that, that hair dryer is very similar to the one that's still over in that River Country bathroom. It's uh Oh really? Yeah, that's the they, they use for backyard barbecue. Very similar. Yeah. It's built into that, that bathroom. I'm gonna have to go check that out and may have to uh compare you know, if I take a take yeah. a swim, I might have to dry my hair. Yeah. Now one more one more bathroom observation. This is really triggered a memory of going and staying at the Grand Floridian <laughs> is the fact that the soap wasn't like the normal Mickey soap. It was this very fancy no. sort of like Amber Crombie and Finch, like, <laughs> like that's a clothing yeah. brand. But we get what you we get what you're getting. Wait, no, yeah, wait. yeah, yeah. Oh, not Amber Crombie Finch. I meant a Crabtree and Evelyn. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I was like, what are you <laughs> <laughs> Even yes. Andrews, even Andrews, laughing. Yes. <laughs> yes, a very fancy oh, Crabtree and Evelyn style, like rose smelling. Yeah. Uh, so it was a higher end soap than what you yeah, got at the yeah. other regular boring resorts. Now, there's one other really neat photo before I pass it off to you, How is that I, I don't know what they're filming, but they were obviously filming something. Yeah. If you scroll down, there's a shot on the beach of the Grand Floridian with quite a, a, a film crew out there. Uh, you know, there's not enough information to, to see. They're obviously filming something on the on the, the water side like of the beach. November. Could um, this be Thunder it, in Paradise? I, you know, this is 94. 
it's about could right. Be. It could have been a Thunder in Paradise scene, so you know, you never know. So we've got we've got some some mystery. Could there. have been shooting the scuttlebutt. There is another one. I'm going to leave everybody with this. The very last photo is looks like Father Christmas and um, a young girl dressed in some sort of uh, uh, traditional garb, uh, and and that's at Epcot. And I'm going to leave you with this: is that next year we get to do the same thing because my grandparents went back down in 1995 and we oh, have a completely no. different set where they went around Epcot. And saw different Father Christmases, and we'll talk about that next year. So you've got to wait till our holiday potluck 2019 episode for that. Now, now if I, I hate to while. say, but I was there in November of '96. Oh, so hey, we we can continue this on <laughs> if can, you get your photos. We can beat together. this horse until it. It's hey, long I, got, I got photos and VHS tape from that trip. That's right. So. I would very there much like go. to see VHS cassettes yeah. of. 1996 circa JT Couser. That would be, and you'll be happy to know that was the first year we drove the Impala, which is my current car. <laughs> that would be fantastic. But there's there no footage go. of Epcot, right? Um, gosh, did we go that year? No, we did studios in in uh, Magic Kingdom and Blizzard Beach, <laughs> and we gosh, went to Gatorland and uh, no, Cypress I've Garden. There. Never, I've never been to either. <laughs> Well, Brian, uh, you gave us the, a preview of the holidays. My grandparents visited right during the holiday season to show us what it was all about. And then how is going to end the holiday season here by... You know, we haven't talked about Pleasure Island yet in detail, but this is one portion. It's a perfect, perfectly timed for this episode. It was New Year's Eve every night. So I want to just alert people right now. Uh, episode, if you pause and come back exactly at 11.44 p.m. Um, that when we do the New Year's countdown here towards the end, so you start start it exactly at the time I said on New New Year's Eve. We'll do this in sync with the countdown for the actual New Year's, and you can party like you're on Pleasure Island on New Year's Eve. Yeah, so, yeah screw Ryan Seacrest, man. Do it right this year. <laughs> exactly. So I want you to pause right now and wait until 11.44 p.m. Uh, and then come back and press play, and you'll be in sync, and we will help you ring in the new year. So, how? take it away. Take us back to Pleasure Island. New Year's Eve every night, confetti, cannons, parties, dancing, live DJs. I was there years ago in 96 and did it, but... Well, that's what I want to talk about, because when Pleasure Island opened in 1989, it was not New Year's Eve every night. That w- no, this right. wasn't this like a promotional thing to get people there or something. Or I re- listened to a show about yeah, this. Yeah, so well, here's here's what I'm piecing together from. So so I have some Disney news from 1989 and and some of the early tickets and stuff. And and I went. Uh, I didn't get to go uh, the day that it opened because I was too tired for being at Disney MGM. So I couldn't go to Pleasure Island that night. I was wiped out. Um, <laughs> Wait, was it the same? day? Yeah, it was the same day. It opened. How did? How and why did they do that simultaneously? Uh, like, so they could. I, I mean, my opinion is so they could buffer all the press events together. Oh my goodness, though! But like the same day, like they had to be. It, it, imagine if you were like trying to manage both yeah. things, kind of, you know, make sure everything was good. What a day! Yeah, very, very much so. So, uh, so it started without that, and and all the marketing was on the story of Adam Merriweather Pleasure, and uh, you know. The, these plaques were left over on the on the um, on the buildings for years that explained how like each location within the park, each building had a function. And I guess quickly I'll talk about the story of 
of Meriwether Pleasure, who has now been retconned into the SEA uh, organization. So the the story before Disney Springs and and after Disney Village was that in the the 1940s there was this you know wild eccentric gentleman who was exploring the Kissimmee River, which I don't believe is actually attached to Walt Disney World property, but he found this this property uh, and uh, in Central Florida and and being like the mad crazy inventor type person he was. Uh, he built an entire uh, small city uh, devoted to sail making and uh, and exploration and all kinds of crazy stuff. So each building within the pot of buildings, and we'll get you know we'll get to this in in detail in a in a Pleasure Island episode, serve some sort of function. Uh, Pleasure went missing during some sort of excursion, never to be seen again, uh, and the town was left abandoned. And then Disney found the, these buildings one day. Someone walked past the Empress of Lily. They've been on our property right. for 30 years, right. but we just they found them now. Went, huh, what's that stuff? Huh. What do you know? Yeah, what's behind those bushes, Larry? And, uh, and so they converted uh, these leftover parts of the island into modern-day dance clubs and things. And, and that was the story. And the marketing uh, was all about uh, pleasure. And he, his big phrase was like, all for fun and fun for all. And that's how it was marketed until uh, about April, I think, of 1990. Uh, and in April of 1990, suddenly there were some drastic changes in Pleasure Island. And I think, as JT was alluding to, it was not doing as well as they were hoping it was going to do. Um one of the the things that that it opened with was Videopolis East, which was a dance club for teens. Um, so although some of the some of the island was twenty one and up, uh, you were also allowed to bring kids. In some of the clubs, it's like you couldn't have kids at all. In some clubs, like the Adventurers Club, you could have kids, but they had to be accompanied by adults. So it was a very right, right, right. strange mix. Uh, it was like 10 bucks to get in to be able to go to, I think, all of the clubs. I can't remember if it was just one club or all of the clubs, but um, it was kind of kind of an oddball mix. So they get to April of 1990, and I think they realize we need to do some course correction. Let's change things up. So the <laughs> Videopolis East Club goes out, and they put in a alternate like music club called Cage, which was one of my favorites. And then right about this time, they came up with this concept of, okay, <laughs> pleasure is gone. We don't talk about pleasure anymore, but we're going to leave the plaques up everywhere because it's too complicated to take down. And now the Funmeister, <laughs> this, <laughs> this sort of <laughs> Mac Tonight-ish character becomes the logo of Pleasure Island, where before it was just like the... It, you can see these matchbooks quite a bit on eBay, where it's just some warehouse-looking buildings... Yeah. With Pleasure Island written on top. Well, now the character is the Funmeister, and you start to see uh, this character of the moon, sort of like Mac Tonight-ish, with yep. like lots yes. of confetti and bright, bright, you know, '90s colors, trying to amp it up a little bit. Um, he comes in, and they come up with this concept that every night, every night is New Year's Eve at Pleasure Island. So uh, I have a copy of uh, the Disney News magazine from. Uh, summer of 1990. So now they're in full promotional swing trying to let people know, dude, this is different now. 
and we actually know who's resp- who is responsible for the changes because <laughs> they they introduce uh, they have an interview with Stan Fracy, F R E E S E, who is the entertainment producer of Pleasure Island, who worked closer closely with Walt Disney World Entertainment uh, in in trying to like come up with new concepts for some of the clubs and things. Uh, Please say uh, Dick Nunes. Yeah. So he <laughs> wanted New Year's. So every night. so like one of the changes was if you guys I don't know if you guys ever got to go to Zephyr's. Do you remember? At all Zephyr's Rock and Roll Club. It was the science fiction one. Oh, that's right. That's so right. So part yeah. of the story of Zephyr's was that there was a spaceship inside. And the spaceship, I don't know if the spaceship brought them or opened up a hole in the time-space continuum. But the live band that played in there, again, live music, uh, was called the, um, oh, it was called like the Time Rovers or something or and they played a variety of like rock and roll from the 1950s to the 1980s but it was the idea of like the reason they played so many different genres is because they were time travelers so they were familiar with like all these different genres so they s- changed that to basically like beach music <laughs> uh and then eventually the whole thing morphed into being like the rock and roll beach club but he made a bunch of changes so the change to cage the change to that um but really the big thing that they did was was adding on this concept of uh it being new year's eve every night so at the end of at the end of pleasure island so if you you if you entered in from the lake bonavista side on the far side on the west end was the west end stage um and that's kind of t- to the left of where Adventures Club, where uh, what, what's it called now? Where Adventures Club uh, was? Now it's the um, oh, the Edison, yeah. yeah, the Edison, yeah. So it was down down towards that end. If if you look to your, I remember being there, and, and to your back left was the Comedy Club. Was yeah, the Comedy, Comedy Warehouse Club. was on your um, left hand side. So you're right, back right. left. So yeah, and then to the left front was where Planet Hollywood. So is. there was a big courtyard there. Uh, buffered by those two buildings on the left and the right so you could stand there and, and watch the stage show. I have a query. Sure. Before, I, I don't want to interrupt your flow, but was it a hard ticket cover charge from the day it opened to get in, or did that get added later? It it changed every so often, didn't it? So it was it was a hard ticket to get... So the deal was until 7 p.m., you could visit the shops, and if, a, if the restaurant yep. or slash club was open to serve food anyone could go but after 7 p.m right. it was a hard ticket and then and it was a bra- a bracelet system if i recall yeah right? they had that for a while it was at least when i went well it was full-on yeah. stanchion like there were stanchions yeah. at first and you you paid your t- you couldn't walk through there was no you, reason no, to walk through it was, an island. It was yeah, it blocked was, off and, it, like, and it's true and you bought your ticket at the fort wilderness train car yeah yeah on right, that right. side there were there were only a couple entrances in there was there was mm-hmm. one entrance from the Lake Bonavista side. There was an entrance from the front, um, but yeah, it was stanchions and, and you were in. It, it wasn't until they opened up the other side, where the AMC theater is now and bongos and all that stuff, and there was a reason to walk through it that they went to the wristband system, and because because right, then right, I was like, right, well, right, we have right. to that- have people be able to walk from one side to the other. And I think that was ninety eight when I was there for for that walking through and going over to the what was a Wild Horse Saloon was down yeah. at, down at the end. Um, yeah, way down by the there blue. was a change at some point, and I have to figure out the timing on this. Where once they got rid of Zephyr's, 
as the the roller skating part of it it became <laughs> that just turned into uh, mannequins yeah. didn't it well no mannequins mannequins was always there it's where moromoto what Asia was the spinning now. one called then um that was, that was mannequins yeah yeah, yeah that the was mannequins. zephyrs was weird because it was partially over the water uh one part of it was a box but then it was kind of like an oval on the backside with glass windows so you would roll there was an oval inside a, an oval roller skating rink and you could this is right yes i'm mixing yeah so you could go around roller skating and it was it didn't work well because they were serving alcohol, alcohol and roller, and skating, roller yeah. skating like it was it seems like right now i'd love to just sit it's there and just, watch but <laughs> not a recipe yeah. for success let's, let's so when they shut that down then it became a change to just the kids, no more kids. It was purely 21 and over. Like, no more. That was done for the kids. And then that's when, like, there was just liquor everywhere. They were selling liquor out on the streets. I remember that. Yeah. I remember the test tube shop. Yeah. Yes. I do, those, too. Those were, yeah, it yeah. Was, yeah. Selling a raid on the street. So it was kind of like New Orleans in a way. You know, just everything everything goes, you know? It was yeah. Just liquor it was everywhere. crazy. And it's so is that when around the same time they introduced this New Year's so Eve? So this is New Year's so this New Year's Eve one was nineteen ninety. It was it started probably in April or May of nineteen ninety, probably after its first wow. year. Um and and it, it that promotion to me worked because you got in nineteen ninety I was seven and I remember like hearing this and I mean you know New Year's is like a you know not a huge thing as a kid but you were always like oh New Year's the countdown and they'd play the countdown I'd be like I want to go there that seems so fun does. every it's night really fun so here's what they said at the top it was so a lot at of the fun. top of Hill Street a live band urges partygoers to dance in the streets. And he's so proud. He says, we found a Blues Brothers style band for the street party, says Freese, complete with fedoras, double-breasted suits, and sunglasses. But the party isn't always the same. The band will alternate with a world beat band. It's an island party music, a combination of reggae, salsa, and calypso. So, the highlight of the evening occurs as the clock approaches the magic hour. 11 p.m. Sunday through Thursday, midnight Friday and Saturday. So New Year's Eve is at eleven o'clock, <laughs> except for yeah. Friday and Saturday. Uh, d- except for Friday and Saturday. So if you're listening to this podcast and it's it's not and it's Friday and Saturday, you should have started this actually at uh, a little bit if earlier. You, if you're li- earlier if you're listening to us on Friday or Saturday night at like ten thirty, eleven o'clock, we 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 got to send you some help. <laughs> well, they, you know, they they could be on an airplane just listening. Could, could be, be traveling. Could be. So you know, yeah, you, you know, know travel listeners, scene. Brian, they don't stop. Yeah. No, I, no, I do know that because they, they they let us know, and I feel sorry for every one of them that so takes us all in one dose. <laughs> it's a lot to so handle. They actually handed out New Year's Eve hats and noisemakers yes. and the little little things. Yeah, the yep. get, and they had the full countdown too, which was crazy. I, I remember going, and and you're right, they they pump you up. They're getting danced. That they would get louder and louder, and they. They would entice you. You know, only thirty minutes right. to go. Only thirty minutes to go, and they're you're trying to feel like it's Times Square, and and you know it's to me Times Square. If you're going to Times Square, you're going to be freezing your butt off in the middle yeah. <laughs> of winter, right? So you're out there, and and but I think at that point, you know, a lot of the people already had a couple drinks, and everybody's dancing, and it really was a festive atmosphere, and people really, it didn't matter that it was um, you know. 
uh, tomorrow was Flag Day or Arbor <laughs> yeah. Day. They were, you know, or <laughs> just the middle You're of February. On vacation, we're, we're man. Gonna, you, oh, you go right. Out and enjoy it was yourself. super effective. We're gonna and party. Very fun and very infectious. And the uh, the stage show, I think, changed a number of times over the years. There's, uh, I remember, in the mid '90s, there uh, when they would do the countdown, they had this. Uh, the dancing became like really like super 90s and the this is probably after it went all adult and like the outfits got really skimpy and they always had like a really buff mm-hmm. guy as the fun meister with this very weird sort of snm outfit on with like a metal half moon mask it was really bizarre uh if you have a picture of that please share yeah. like i i have we, we found i found this. some video on online but it's not particularly clear unfortunate but the I mean, they at some point they bring out like the girls bring out chairs and they kind of do like these flash dance moves on the Pleasure Island dancers. I remember, I don't know if you remember the Pleasure Island explosion. I think they were called. It was the dance troupe hey. that worked there. Oh, they yeah, would yeah, they yeah. would do one show sort of at that <laughs> weird wedge corner in front of um, uh, yesteryears or yesteryears where the road split kind of at the halfway point. And then they would yep. they would go into mannequins and dance sometimes, and then sometimes they would dance uh, with this show at the countdown. But yeah, come come twelve o'clock, there were pyrotechnics. They would shoot confetti out. It was oh, the confetti was crazy. They had about three or four of these cannons, and and they would uh, you know, just shoot all over. The stuff was was coming down, and they really really pumped it up. I mean, it was. Um, I, I remember them doing the whole countdown and the clock and five minutes ago, three. All right, so can, can we play the countdown? Because we sh- we should play the countdown. Yeah. Play. So so we're. I mean, right now it's eleven. It's eleven fifty nine. So in uh, some seconds. So uh, here we here we go, folks. We're gonna ring in the new year right now with you. We've got this time perfectly. Turn it up. Welcome to 2019, everybody. It's officially we can talk to about all the way back to 1994 now. So we've got uh, got our marching orders for the for the new year. So, well, how I know you're going to take us back to Pleasure Island. Maybe this year we'll go back and we'll really do a in depth uh, episode. Yeah, yeah, we should. That's a good one. I do want to mention one thing. So I got to, about this and. Uh, Particularly with the Adventures Club, that was one of my favorites. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I got to when it got to go to one of the Adventures and Charity mm-hmm. events with the old members of the of the cast members of the Adventures Club, and they talked about how when they started this promotion, you know, they were in the middle of they would be in the middle of doing one of their shows at midnight, and like every night at eleven fifty the Adventurers Club would just clear out <laughs> and there would be nobody in there except for oh, them no. and maybe a couple of other people because everybody wanted to go up to the New Year's thing. And you could hear, as 
the way the doors worked, it's like you could hear the music right, coming right. in from outside. So it was really drawing everybody out. So that's funny. <laughs> all- now, was the Adventures Club? Did you have to invest like a solid two hours to enjoy it, or could you? Because I I went in there, and you know, I I let's just say I went in there after. You know, a little bit of fun, and I just walked in like I feel like I interrupted something. I, you know what? So I'll tell you, JT. The first time I went, uh, I think I wandered in at some point, and I was there during a time when like nothing was going on, and I kind of was like, "Well, what what the hell's the big deal about this?" And yeah. I walked out, and uh, it wasn't probably until the second and third time when I came in, and like you said, uh, invested some time there, and they had little cards that you would pick up at the stand when you came in with like the shows and what time it was, it really, it it was to your benefit to spend some time there. Like, all right, it's nine o'clock. I got to go to the mask room. I'm going to sit down and watch this. Cause you're right. If you just walk through there, you would have no fricking idea why this was supposed to be. Right. It looked bizarre. And I've got, Mm -hmm. when we, when we talk about, I have a personal story because my, my brother and his girlfriend at the time were picked on and uh, given, given nicknames during the whole evening. So it was, it was great. So we'll talk about that. Todd still calls I them do. Those nicknames. That's why. That's why he and his <laughs> they, brother. They were talk. both blonde, and they they were called Sven and Inga, and it has still works to this day. We still refer to them as Sven and Inga. So, uh, and we actually, well, well, I'll even read the letter. We continued the joke on in the family, uh, but we'll we'll save that. We'll save that for the for the official show. So, well, thank Thanks. you everybody for. Did your did your mom do a little cartoon? With Sven <laughs> she and Inga? did not. Is she that... did not. But that would, would be good. So. Well, thank you everybody for yeah, the the holiday potluck here. Um, I want to you know just say here before we close out the show, um, thank you again to all of our sponsors out there. Um, I'm sorry, sponsors, donors. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, 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 I go, no, this no, no. is new. Okay, <laughs> Still looking for the fucking stroller. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, JT. So real quick, how you had some great new designs. I've got my I, my speed ramp shirt came the other day. I got for my son for Christmas. And I think one of our new yes. best sellers ever, uh, the Blair's Five Legged Goat Ranch. Uh, it it is, it is moving? moving. We sold I, I, easily 20, 30 of them plus, I think, have sold by now. Yes. It is a hit. <laughs> it's, um, we've got a leg up on the competition. It is a fabulous design. Um, I, I, I bought one for myself. My wife got one. Um, it's been flying off the shelves. They've been printing them like crazy. So kudos to you how awesome, awesome design. So for those of you that like the five-legged goat, you got to get one of these because it's, it's, it's one of the best. And how you said you've been trying for years to figure out how to incorporate the five-legged goat in, into a shirt. Right, without being derivative or just like, oh, look, it's just a picture of the five-legged goat. So when you came up with, when you and Amy came up with the concept of the goat yep. farm, I was like, yes, finally, this is yep. the deal. And it was it was so fun to do that. And the, the other thing, it's like not to get too nerdy, but like it's not a direct copy of the goat. It's like there's really no fun in that. So I kind of took a little time and immersed myself in the Mary Blair style and figured out how to draw a goat that was in the style of without doing a direct yeah. copy of it. So if you if you compare the shirt to the goat that's on the wall, it's not going to be exactly the right. same goat, it but can- it's. Totally intentional. It conveys to do that, the so. conveys the uh, the point, and I, I have to give a shout out. It was it was Amy, my wife, and and Jason who were, we were walking through the contemporary, and they had the the epiphany came over them, and then uh, they came up with the idea. So I got to give give them the credit for that, and then how you brought it to life. So um, I'm sure you've got some other ideas in in the pipeline, and uh, so we'll be we'll be looking for those. Yeah, it's time. It's now now that the mad rush is over the holidays. Yeah. 
there's and when we have some new episodes coming up because I, I like to try to mix them up with the yeah. episodes so hopefully i have a i have a couple of good ones in mind for imagination oh. so hopefully we managed to get into that territory nice. this year and we have you front know, and back so we could do the be- the front of the tunnel and the back of the tunnel look at that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that uh that's yeah i'm sure it's front and back and that was kind of a surprise i went when you you released it i yeah inside, yeah I go, front and front and back front on and back so but my my onesie i got for andrew here is oh just they don't do front, the back on the kids so his j- oh, okay no, his just has the uh, the Goodyear speed gotcha, ramp right gotcha. on the front. So, but yeah, it was really cool. And then my my sister that actually works at Goodyear ordered one too, and I like, I don't wear that. To yeah, work. yeah, 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 yeah. We might have to remove the Goodyear logo <laughs> at some point. They're pretty protective of that. While while we're talking about the time we spent near the Mary Blair mural, I think it's probably appropriate for us on mass to throw a thank you out to executive pastry chef Jeff Absolutely. Barnes at the Contemporary. Uh, who we made a fuss over the Chef Jeff to our waiter at uh, at the Contemporary when we were having breakfast at the Wave. And ten minutes later, Chef Jeff showed up at our table and and inter- you know and, and uh, paid us a little bit of attention. And we told him how great we thought he was. Amy lobbied him for a five legged goat <laughs> cookie to come back uh, at the at the holiday display that they should be selling them at the hotel. And he seemed intrigued by the idea that uh, they should bring boy, those back oh year round. But uh, uh, the cool thing was, uh, without giving you all of the detail, he said, uh, I want to do something fun with you guys and special. And so we met him up at the uh, gingerbread display uh, on the Grand Canyon concourse after breakfast. And he had each of us sign the gingerbread display in an infrared pen. So it could only be seen with an infrared light, but we yep. know it's there. We all have pictures of us signing it. And so anytime one of my friends is there, I said, did you did you visit my signature? <laughs> and then I send them a picture of where it is. So it was a really cool thing. So thank you Absolutely. to Chef Jeff and the folks at the Contemporary for for doing that for us it was yeah, really and, really neat and, and one of the uh, one of the girls uh, Andrea I believe a shout out to her she was running the, the cookie uh, stand there selling yes. cookies and, and Brian and I go up and we're, we're buying cookies with with Amy and Jason and she goes are, are, you, are you guys from the retro WDW and and all of a sudden she, we said yes and she was she was like oh my gosh I can't believe she recognized uh, probably Brian's voice more than mine but uh, she was she was uh, you know she was really uh, appreciative of everything we did and it was yeah great. I have I have family members I see at events that aren't as happy to see me <laughs> as, as Andrea was so thank you yeah. that was great uh, uh, really the whole experience there that was weekend, great and uh, everybody that came on the Lake and Lagoon tours we were getting stopped yeah. all over the place by people breakfast that morning with our friend Brendan. Thank yeah, you so was, much, Brendan. We had a great time at yes. breakfast at the um, Wave. We we all stood with um, a, with a view of Roy's cabin after after the event uh, at the outer rim. You know, meeting a bunch of you guys and uh, a lot of vol- people who volunteered came up and, and explained what they could do for us. We met everybody from from all different walks of life too. Dollhouse miniature people. We've got people who are oh, fly yeah. FedEx cargo planes. I mean, it's it's. How about our How about our buddy that gave us the uh, the the the, the CD? Yeah, the ukulele band was there. Yeah, it was awesome. Great opportunity to see everybody, meet everybody. Um, I do know that uh, um, the one of the volunteers who video uh, the, the last tour. Um, we're going to be releasing that at some point, so everybody can see what the tour was like. He took some a lot of great video onshore as well as offshore. Um, 
And uh, again, you know, thank you to everybody who has supported us, not only uh, at the event, but also uh, through monetary donations to the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society. Um, we've raised quite a bit of money to uh, help us continue to restore films, bring this show to you, and um, keep the server and the podcast running and, and, and as, as you see it today. We did make some big changes, too. I, I would like to announce that um, officially, because we are... Uh, nonprofit, we have made the decision to uh, ensure that the retro WDW website is 100% ad free now. Um, so we have removed all uh, advertising from it, and it's 100% listener supported, uh, so that you can enjoy the content without any interruption. So I think that's a, a really neat uh, nod to, for everybody who has uh, helped bring us that. And speaking of content, Brian, you've been adding slides. I've been adding photos. We're closing in on 10,000 photos. Um, it, we're driving Jason nuts uh, with the organization and the tagging. And um, we're going to be looking into some uh, improved software, hopefully, in the next year or so. Um, but uh, there's there's so much more to, to bring to you guys as well. So it's going to be a job for a volunteer, that's, that's too, to right. go through and label everything that's not labeled and... and correct things that might not be labeled That's correctly. Right. And, and people might be asking, wh why Why would we need to label and tag? Well, think about for your own research, if you want to look up something or our research for the show, to be able to go in and type, um, you know, golf bag tag or Roy's cabin or, you know, fireworks or, or anything. Or even just something simple like, uh, uh, you know, Space exactly. Mountain. Exactly, um, and see all the different stuff. Our, our stuff is not in a, it's, yeah, it's all in different folders <clears throat> and files that are based mostly on the time or place that they were taken and not so much what exactly. the content is. So if we can so. start adding tags to all these, we can create tag clouds in a big database of, uh, you know, of research so that these photos can come up. Um, and obviously the dates are very hard to do, uh, but we have the dates when they're known. But... It's, it's a big job, um, you know, and it's, it's much bigger than the four of us can do. Uh, you know, we have a lot of work to do monthly just producing this podcast and keeping the site running. So um, we will be looking for volunteers. Uh, I know a lot of you have written to us already, which is awesome. And uh, we've got your names down. We'll be contacting you in early 19. And if there's other people out there that want to uh, join in, don't hesitate to write to us at podcast at retrowdw.com. So um, with that, I, again, I want to thank all of our listeners for a fantastic year. We're heading into 2019, which means it is our, going to be our fifth year together doing this podcast. Hard to believe, um, which, is, which is amazing. And that uh, means there's going to be something special coming up later in the year that we're working on. So that's all I'm going to say right now. But uh, a big uh, happy holidays, happy new year, merry Christmas to everybody out there. Uh, thank you again for your support, and uh, we'll see you next year. And with that, Brian, take us out. Follow the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society on Twitter and Instagram at LBV History and on the web at lbvhistory.org. Follow Todd McCartney and Retro WDW on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Retro WDW. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com. On Twitter, follow our web designer, Jason Bartell of Deepwater Studios, at JasonDWS. 
our announcer Andre Gardner, at Andre Gardner. And follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, on Twitter and Instagram, at GoAwayGreen, and on the web at KingdomOfMemories.com. For JT Couser on Twitter, at LS1JT, on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring, and on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Brian P. Miles. Retro Disney World is the monthly podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society, a nonprofit, nonpartisan, tax exempt 501c3 organization, and is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Corporation or any of its subsidiary or affiliated entities.